right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Brantford Bible Chapel. It is so good to be with you here today. Uh, please bear with us as we're working on a few technical issues here at the last minute. But I want to say it's my privilege to be the first one back here at Brantford Bible Chapel. I get to speak from the pulpit. It has been quite a while since we've been here back at church. I am so glad to be with you today and actually see all of you here with me together uh, back at church. It is wonderful. And I know if some of you are at home, maybe you can even join the audience that's here with me right now. Um, so thank you everybody for being with me here. It is so nice. Yeah, that was a joke. There's no one here. It's just me and Ed. <laughs> all right. Now, from now on, we'll be doing all our messages from here because from here we can actually try and get a better signal upload. We can also work on our audio. So please bear with us again. This is our first time doing this. We were working on it late last night and we'll see what happens. So back with our message today, we will be in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, looking at the life of King Uzziah. So before we start, let's actually commit this time to the Lord. Well, Lord my God, I give you thanks that you're the Almighty God. And Lord, there's nothing more important in this world than you and your word. So I pray that this time will be glorifying to you, that the things I say would not be my words, but that they would be yours. Lord, please give me clarity of mind, clarity of speech and thought. Lord, please guide me and instruct me through your Holy Spirit on what to say. Lord, may you do mighty work this day, even though we're not here in person, but around the world, may you work in the church universal. So Lord, again, we commit this time into your hands. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Second Chronicles, chapter 26. Look at the life of King Uzziah. Now, just quick food for thought. If you're like me, when I saw that I had the name Uzziah, instantly there's a verse that came to mind. Maybe it's the same for you too. And I'm not going to dwell on that verse very much, but what is that one verse in Scripture that pops off in your mind? Oh, man, I know that name. Where do I know that name from? Ah, I'm not going to give you the reference, but you can think about it maybe at the end of the session today. We'll talk about it a little bit. But it starts like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, you fill in the blanks. You see what you come up with. All right. So we'll talk about that a little bit at the end. So for now, let's get back into the beginning of his life. So verse 20, uh, in chapter 26 of 2 Chronicles, verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elah and restored it to Judah, after Amaziah rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. All right, so what do we see? First off, he became king at a young age. When we get our driver's licenses here in America, he was sitting on a throne, reigning over everything. Uh, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Now, we notice real quick that it sounds like he had a um, pretty significant impact in his land. And how do I know that? Well, it says at the beginning that he rebuilt Elah. What's Elah? Well, if you know anything about the, the history of Israel, at the very bottom of Israel, uh, there is this town that's called Elah, and it was made part of the nation of Israel at the climax of its uh, prestige. When was Israel at its greatest glory? When was Israel at its greatest climax in world history? All right, during the rule of King Solomon. And Eloth is at the southern part of Israel, 
but it's at the northern tip of the Gulf of Aqaba. See, Aqaba, the Gulf there, actually leads into the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is what was used for everyday commerce back there in the transport of goods. So whoever owned Elof actually controlled all the imports and exports for the entire region that came through the Red Sea. So it was a great um, city to conquer and rule because you controlled all the imports and exports. You were the head nation at the time. And that was under the rule of King Solomon when Israel was at its glory. But after Solomon, that city was lost. And it was controlled by other uh, countries. But when Uzziah came back in, through the Lord and his uh, leading, Uzziah conquered that land again. At even a young age of 16 years old. How did, I, how did Uzziah, at such a young age, pull off such a huge feat? A feat that none of his fathers in the past had done. It's hundreds of years ago that this territory was lost. How did he pull that off? Well, actually, the answer is in verse 4. What do we see in verse 4? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You see, Uzziah was one of the good kings. He was a king that actually cared about the opinions and the thoughts of the Lord. He did what was right in the... Uh, sorry, I lost my sight. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him to fear God. Hmm. As long as he sought God during his reign, God gave him success. It's pretty interesting. So, one, why do I believe that he did so well in his rule? Why was he so successful? Is because he sought, he consulted God, he inquired of God. He recognized that God is the sovereign ruler of the world. That he is in control of all things. And since he runs this universe... What can man do successfully without him? So why not I run all my ideas, all my plans, all my thoughts through him first and see what he has to say? Because if he is on my side and he agrees with my plans, or I agree with his plans in reverse, right? Then we're going to be successful. And everything that he wants me to do, that's what I'm going to choose to do. So he went before the Lord before he decided to do anything. And that's why he's successful. Do you in your life go before the Lord with the things that you want to do? Do you consult God or you just say, you know what, I'll make my own decisions. I, I don't need God. Now, where did Uzziah learn this from? Because this is probably a learned behavior. This is not something that you just see people in the world all of a sudden, hey, I'm just going to quit depending on myself and start trusting the Lord. Where does that come from? Usually, that is a learned behavior. I like to suggest, again, this is Brian's speculation here, but we see here in verse 3, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. I would like to speculate that part of this in the Jewish religion and a Jewish belief system to trust in Yahweh. There is a strong correlation. All right? It's not 100% true, but when I look through the scriptures, I, I find a pretty strong correlation in the kings that when their mother was from Jerusalem, the son was a pretty decent king. 
when the mother was from a foreign nation where they did not follow Yahweh, the son typically did not seek after the Lord. Now again, it's not true all the time, because uh, we definitely see how moms can have an impact, because moms have an impact in the life of Azariah in 2 Chronicles 22. It says in 2 Chronicles 22 that he too, Azariah, followed the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother encouraged him to act wickedly. His mom had a huge impact on his life and the decisions that he made. And his mom coerced him, his mom taught him, his mom led him in evil, in evil thoughts and evil actions and approved of his evil ways. Whereas and I would like to think that the mother here that Uzziah had, because moms typically in, in a traditional home spend more time with the children than the fathers do. They're around more. And they have a lot of impact in their children's lives. So moms, I challenge you to think about what are you teaching your children? Are you teaching your children to fear the Lord, to seek the Lord, to consult the Lord? Yes, it is the Father's responsibility too. Absolutely. But moms, there is a big burden placed on you. Take up the challenge. Instruct your little ones in your home to seek the Lord, to inquire of the Lord, to recognize that He is in control of all things, and that nothing in their life should be done without His guidance. I'd also like to suggest that another reason why Uzziah sought the Lord we'll find here in verse 5. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him to fear God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He sought God during the days of Zechariah. Oh, you might be thinking here, hey, that's the prophet Zechariah. No, this is not the same Zechariah that we find uh, later in Scripture, uh, in the book of Zechariah. It is a different one. But we see here that Zechariah instructed him to fear God. There was a man that took Uzziah under his wing and guided him in the fear of the Lord. He molded him and he modeled to him how to seek God, how to pray to God, how to, you know, go before the Lord with his everyday plans. He spurred him on in faith. He mentored him. It is important that we mentor other believers. If you are young in the faith, find someone that will mentor you. For those of you who are more mature in the faith, find someone to mentor them. That, that's discipleship. Discipleship is helping someone move the next step forward in their walk of faith in Christ. Uzziah was so successful because he had a godly older man who encouraged him in walking his faith day by day by his side. Men and women, we need to do that. Women, you need to mentor younger women. Older men, you need to mentor younger men. You need to be there for each other. The walk of a Christian life is not to be walked alone. God never intended for individuals to live out their faith by themselves, isolated from the world, isolated from other believers. Fire burns brightest. Light burns brightest when there's other candles to get it, when there's other logs in the fire to get it. You take one log out of the fire, that log dies. You put all the logs together, though, it burns brightly. We need to encourage each other to spur one another on in love in this walk. I know right now it's kind of hard to do because we're not even together in this room. 
but we need to find ways to stay in contact with each other to continually encourage each other. Please, guys, do not isolate yourselves at your houses. Isolate yourself physically, but don't do it emotionally. Don't do it verbally. Get on your phones. Get on the internet. Find ways to communicate with each other. And when you do, don't just spend time talking about the coronavirus. Just don't spend time talking about the weather outside. Talk about the things of the Lord and encourage each other. Sorry, it has to be on the forefront of our minds. We need to build one another up. We need to hold one another accountable. Now, something I want to take a little tangent here. And it's the second half of verse 5. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Now, that is a verse that I would like to cling to for myself. Man. Uzziah sought the Lord. He became wealthy. He became powerful. He became healthy. He had a super vibrant nation. That sounds a lot like the prosperity gospel. That if you please God, if you seek God, he'll give you health, wealth, and prosperity. And that is preached all over the world today. And I want you to be very careful that God made many promises to the Israel nation. He promised them that if you do this, then I will bless you. But if you do that, you will be cursed and there will be consequences. The promises that God made to the nation of Israel do not necessarily apply to us today as believers. We need to be very careful. Now, just because it says here that he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him, and as long as he sought the Lord, he gave him success, does not mean it's not a good principle for us today. It may not be a promise for us today physically through our health and through our wealth and prosperity. How do I know that? Look at the disciples. The disciples, man, they followed God. Paul followed God, one of the greatest believers that ever walked the earth, right? And how, did he, how, did, how was his life? His life was rough. His life was very rough. Many disciples, very rough lives. They even got murdered for what they believed. So don't let people teach you or preach you or and try and instruct you that, listen, the reason why you're not wealthy in this life is because you're not listening to God. You're not following Jesus, right? You're not doing it well enough. You obviously got sin in your life. Okay? That's not true. But there is some principles here that, listen, if you want to be an effective, productive Christian for the spiritual kingdom of God, all right, as we read in 2 Peter chapter 1, you need to follow the Lord. You need to seek the Lord. All right? God says that he will take care of our earthly needs. But if you want to be effective and productive for the ministry of God and furthering his kingdom, and the plans that he has for your life down here, yes, of course you need to seek him. There is no way that I can speak from this position right here and be successful in it if God is not in it. If I don't go to him and, 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 and I, I need him, there is no way I can do this on my own. There is no way that any ministry will have eternal blessing and reward and success in the Lord's eyes without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you're not going before the Lord in the ministries that you are involved in, it's in vain. It's in vain. We need to seek the Almighty King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, 
the one who knows all things because he's all places at all times. We need to consult him. We need to ask him and seek his guidance in all things. Especially when it comes to our work for him here on earth. Alright, let's keep reading now. Let's see what else we find about King Uzziah's life. So it sounds like he's doing a great job so far as a king. And in fact, it really, I think he is. Verse 6. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jenob, and Ashod. He then rebuilt the towns near Ashod, where elsewhere among the Philistines, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs and uh, those who lived in Gerbal and against the Minyanites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. He has one of the greatest nations that he is in control of right now. His fame, his power has spread all the way down to the Egyptian border. None kingdom was like this after Solomon. This is bordering on the kingdom that Solomon had. Not nearly as good, but one of the best ones that Israel ever saw. Verse 9. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem, and at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert, and dug many cisterns, because he had much livestock, in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working the fields, and the vineyards, and the hills, and the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Uzziah had a well-trained army, ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers, as mustered by Jael, the secretary of Manisida, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officers. He has a powerful army. He's doing great things. Israel is prosperous. This is a great time to be a Jew. This is a great time to be an Israelite. Your nation is secure. There is lots of food. You are economically stable. This is a high moment in Israel life when it comes to health, wealth, and prosperity in the land. The total number of the family leaders over the fighting men uh, was 20, sorry, 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against the enemies. Uzziah provided shields and spears, helmets and coats of armor, bows and sling stones for the entire army. Man, he has got it going on as a leader. He has got it going on. I love this part. Read this next verse, verse 15. This, this is kind of cool when I read it. It's like, man, that sounds awesome. In Jerusalem, he made machines. This is the engineering side of me. He made machines designed by skillful men for the use on towers and on the corner defenses to shoot arrows and hurl large stones. What? He made slingshots? No, it sounds like he made crossbows and he made catapults. I mean, those aren't heard of in this era of time. Like, where do we see crossbows and slingshots? That's like medieval times. Not for hundreds of years still to come. Yet his people, through the guidance of the Lord, come up with these machines to put on the towers around Jerusalem to defend it. 
super advanced technology for this time. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. It looks like the Lord was behind him for decades. Because all this didn't happen in one day, right? So out of his 52-year reign, it sounds like the majority of it, decades of it, he's consulting the Lord, the Lord's making them prosperous, they're defeating their enemies, they're becoming economically stable and very wealthy, lots of food. It's a very prosperous time. Very prosperous time in the nation of Israel. Over half the chapter, sorry, half the chapter is dedicated to probably about 40 years of his life there. The second half of the chapter we're about to see is dedicated to describing basically one day of his life. And it's not a proud moment in his life. If you uh, know the story uh, or the movie, it's called Click, you know, with Adam Sandler, he's uh, he given a magical remote control. And with this remote control, he can fast forward, rewind, pause his life. So one day he gets into a fight with his wife. And he's like, you know what? I'll rewind that. Rewind. He changes up what he says. And the fight doesn't actually happen. It turns into a good thing because he changes up his words. Or other times he's sitting in a board meeting and it's really boring at work. So he hits fast forward and fast forwards the whole thing. Well, this right here is a day in Uzziah's life that we're about to read. That I'd be willing to bet that he wished he had that remote, that magical remote clicker that Adam Sandler had. Where he could rewind this one moment in his life and change it. Because what he is about to do changes the course of his life forever. And not in a good way. And it's a very sad, sad story. So we're about to read it here. Let's take to heart uh, what happens to Uzziah. And let's certainly learn from it. We do not want... Anything that pops up in his life, to pop into our life also. Verse 16. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. So just so you know that everything that comes to pass from here forward is due to his pride. Christians, we need to be careful about pride too. Uh, I've spoken before on pride. pride. Pride can break you. Because you think you're all that. When in reality you're not. So what happens in his life? After Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. Well, if you know anything about the temple, uh, quickly... Who was allowed on the inside of the temple? On the, the inside of the temple where the holy place is and then the holies of holies? Only the priest could go there. And I can tell you for certain, Uzziah is not a priest. He does not belong there. So he is already putting himself in a very bad position before the Lord. So let's read what happens. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted him and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priest, the descendants of Aaron, who had been consecrated to burn incense. 
Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. So what is happening here? The king has entered the holy place in the temple. So he's now deep into the temple. And if you can, I don't know, maybe picture the temple in your head at all. all right, as you're walking through the temple, getting deeper and deeper into it, you'll see a big veil. And we know that on the other side of that veil is the most holy of holies. That's where God himself dwells. And only once a year could the high priest even go in there. But right before that veil, in the holy room, there was an altar, about two feet by two feet wide. And on that altar, the sons of Aaron were supposed to burn incense every morning and every evening. And only the priests could do that. And not even just a priest, it had to be a son of Aaron, a descendant of Aaron and his bloodline that could even go in and do that performance. And here's the king who is not a priest and he's not a descendant of Aaron. And he's in there trying to offer incense. He is way out of line. Way out of line. Does not belong there one bit. Imagine a priest for a minute. Seeing this happening. Knowing that this is not right. Put yourself in a priest's shoes. Actually, sorry. Don't put yourself in her shoes. Put yourself in her sandals. Put yourself in the sandals of a priest at this time. All of a sudden, you see the most powerful person in the kingdom, the king, right, who has the authority to make laws, the authority to behead you for speaking at him. Who are you going to say, um, you know what, uh, king, I, um, maybe you, you shouldn't be here right now. Right? Could you imagine walking up to him and saying that? I can only imagine that Azariah, the priest, was had some reservations in the back of his mind. We know that he didn't let those reservations stop him, but man, he had to be thinking, if this goes wrong, I'm, it's going to cost me my life. See, we need brave men and women. There were 80 priests that he got together to go with him, to confront the king. We need brave men and women to stand firm for the teachings of the Lord. See, those priests, they knew what God had commanded. They knew what God expected. And they weren't going to even let the king tell them otherwise. They stood up for what they knew was right. So when it comes to the commands of the Lord, no power, no ruler, no authority should stop us believers from doing what is right. When it comes to Preaching the gospel, we cannot stop that ever. When it comes to making disciples and baptizing people, that is a command from God that we are to do. No king or ruler or power on this earth can ever stop us. Or should we ever listen to him? If the nation, if the United States one day says, listen, you can no longer read from the Bible, listen, that doesn't mean we stop. We can't stop. That is a command from God to seek Him. Now, I know right now 
that there are some churches out there saying that, listen, despite this coronavirus, we are not going to listen to the government. We are not going to social distance. We are going to go to church anyways because there's a command from God for us to meet together. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. So we're going to meet on Sunday mornings regardless of what the government says. And I hear what they're saying. Except for, I don't believe right now that the government is trying to restrict our act of worshiping a God. What they're trying to do is actually take care of a public health concern. And it's just a temporary thing. So I don't think that it's right for us to commit civil disobedience for us to come together and... Uh, gathered together as saints here at church, especially when we have modern day technology where we can do Zoom meetings and conferences and get our public, uh, get our information still out there and still get, sorry, gather together. We are committed to submit to our authorities, but when it comes to the commands of God, we need to submit to them first and foremost at all the times. Now, sorry, I lost my spot. So he is in a bad place. Uzziah, who had a censer in verse 19, in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the Lord's altar of incense in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. He was raging. He is mad. I could just hear him right now. Man, how dare you guys tell me what to do what I cannot do. I am the king. I am a descendant of David. You got nothing on me. I am the royal bloodline. God has blessed my life. Look at all that I have done in his name. He will accept my sacrifice right now. Why? Because I am good enough. I am good enough. I am the best king that's been on this throne in decades, in centuries. He's not going to say no to me. Who do you think you are, priests? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I could do to you right now? There's consequences for pride and consequences for disobedience to God's order of worship. But what did he do that was so wrong, that was so significant, that God would actually punish him so severely by giving him an incurable disease. A disease where <laughs> he's going to die from it. A disease that was going to torment him for the rest of his life. What did he do that was so wrong? I mean, it actually sounds like he was trying to do a nice thing. Hey God, I'm going to come worship you. Hey God, you know, I'm going to present you this, this, this offering. You know? It sounded like... He was almost kind of doing a good thing. Why did God punish him so severely? Well, one, we know he definitely had a pride problem. Um, so I got three reasons why I think that uh, God would not let this go by. All right. So one, the first one is, well, he clearly disobeyed God's command for worship in the temple. All right. We know that the altar was being lit every morning. And there was even particular fire that they were used to light the altar of incense. Alright, so when to do it, what to do it, and how to do it was particularly described by God. And he went way outside that guideline. So one, there's a problem right there. Two, 
the altar of incense can be seen as two pictures. The first one I'd like to suggest that the altar of incense can be a picture as the prayers of God's saints. You see, our prayers to God arise up to Him like the smoke of burning incense. Where do you get that from, Brian? Well, we know that David prayed in Psalm 142, May my prayer be set before you, O God, like incense. So just as the beautiful smell of incense arising to you, God, may my prayers arise to you also. We also know that in the New Testament, in Revelation, John, when he was looking into heaven in Revelation 5, he saw the elders around the throne, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. What was this incense that the elders around God's throne were holding? It was the prayers of God's people. So just as incense was to burn continually, never stop burning in the presence of God in the temple, so too should we continually pray before the Lord our God in heaven. And it is something that God desires. It is something that God enjoys. Incense is a pleasant smelling thing. Our prayers are a pleasant smell to the Father because He enjoys our communication with Him. That was two. Number three, and this is what I think to be the, 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 one of the biggest problems that he had. You see, is that the, the items in the temple, they represent, they represent something about Christ. And the altar of incense represented God's Son, Jesus Christ, and His intercessory work at the cross. And his intercessory work that he does continually, all the time on our behalf. I have a quote here, because he just puts it better than I could ever write it out. Uh, but Michael Herman says this, The altar of incense can also be seen as a picture of the intercession of Christ. Just as the altar of sacrifice in the courtyard was a type of Christ's death on our behalf, the altar of incense in the holy place was a type of Christ's mediation on our behalf. See, Christ's work on earth and heaven, the altar of incense was situated before the mercy seat of the ark, a picture of our advocate standing before the presence of the Father. The incense was to be burned continually on the altar of incense, which shows the perpetual nature of Christ's mediation on our behalf. Christ's intercession on our behalf is a sweet-smelling savor to God. So let me just paraphrase that for you, if you didn't quite follow. The altar of incense represents Jesus Christ's work mediating for us. You see, outside the temple, you had this big altar. And on the altar, animals were slain. And they were slain to cover, to pay the price of man's sin. And we know that that represents Jesus Christ's death on the cross. That he was slain and that his blood was shed to pay the price for our sins. That was outside the temple at the very beginning of it. But we know that in the center of the temple was the Holy of Holies. God himself and where he lived and where he dwelt among his people. But there was a veil where you couldn't go in. 
But right outside that veil was the altar. So between the sacrifice, paying the price for sin, and the Father, between them was the altar of incense. The mediation. See, Jesus Christ, when he died, we know that that veil was torn. There is no more separating man and God. We cannot go directly into his presence. But in order to get into the presence of God, we have to first believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins at the altar. And as we approach the Father, what do we come to next? Jesus Christ's intercessory work for us daily. See, the altar of incense never burned out. Just as Jesus Christ, standing before the Father, is always there on our behalf, interceding for us. Because we ourselves, we're dirty. We have sin. We are defiled people. We cannot come into the presence of God. Because He is holy and He is perfect. But because Christ intercedes in our behalf, and is always there standing before the Father saying, Look, there is my sacrifice. I paid for them. My blood covered them. My blood cleanses them and washes them clean. Here I am, Father, standing before you. When you see them, you see me. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am their way to the Father. I am, my, I am the way to you, God. So now we can come into the Holy of Holies by going through Christ at the altar of incense as the intercessor. As our mediator, the one who gives us access to God. The altar of incense represented a picture of God's Son. God takes pictures and types of His Son very seriously. Because God loves His Son very much. How do we know that God takes pictures and types of His Son super seriously? Look at Abraham. When Abraham was in desert, sorry, my bad, not Abraham, Moses. Almost got the wrong guy there. When Moses was leading the nation through, through the desert, they got thirsty. There was no water in the desert, of course we know that. So Moses cried out to God, God, help us get some water. What can we do? And God says, go to that rock. Take a staff, Moses. Strike the rock, and water will come flowing out of it. So what did Moses do? He walked to the rock, he obeyed God, took a staff, and struck the rock. And when he struck the rock, Tons of water came flowing out for millions of people to drink. River came out of that rock. And we know that the rock is a picture of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the rock. He is the living water that we can go to for spiritual thirst and drink and be satisfied. But we also know that the rock being Christ, in order for the water to flow from the rock, Moses had to strike the rock. In order for Christ to give us living water, he too had to be struck first. He too had to be bruised and beat at the cross. And because he was bruised and beat, the living water now flows through him to us freely. And everybody in the nation of Israel was satisfied because that, that rock was struck. And likewise too, all people of the world today can be fully satisfied through Jesus Christ and his living water because he was struck at the cross. But we also know in the story that some time later, again, the people are thirsty. And Moses again goes before God, God, what should I do? And God says, from now, go to the rock and speak to the rock, Moses. And, living, and water will come pouring out of that rock. 
So what does Moses do? He walks up to the rock, takes his down, and goes, bam! And he hits the rock. Wait a minute, I, I thought he was supposed to speak to the rock. Yes, he was supposed to speak to the rock. Instead, he struck the rock a second time. He made a big boo-boo there. You see, Christ is never to be struck again. Christ was beaten. Christ was struck once at the cross. Sacrificed once at the cross. Never again is he to be sacrificed again. Never again is he to be beaten. His work at the cross was done so well that it was satisfactory to cover everybody's sins forever. Forever past, forever future. Everybody's sins are now covered and atoned for because of his sacrifice. Never again is he yet to go back to the cross. But Moses there, striking the rock the second time, messed up the picture of Christ. You see, what God said to Moses was to speak to the rock. Because what God wanted to show was that once Jesus Christ was crucified, if you want the living water that flows from him, you don't have to beat him. You just got to speak to him. You just got to talk to him. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need that living water. I need you in my life to completely and make me content and at peace. I need you to make me alive. You see, today, folks, we only have to speak to God to get living water and eternal life. Jesus only ever had to be struck once. What happened to Moses? See, because Moses messed up a picture and type of Christ, God gave him a consequence. And the consequence is this. He could no longer enter the promised land. He could only watch as the nation of Israel crossed over into the land. He could see the land, but he couldn't go into the land. See, God takes his son very seriously. And he will not allow people to tarnish the image of his son. See, Uzziah here, I believe he tarnished the image of God's son. And because of that, all this stemming from his pride, he got a consequence. And the consequence was that he got leprosy on his head. And we know leprosy spreads throughout the whole body. And when you, when you become leprous, you can no longer worship in a temple. You can no longer be a part of everyday society. You have to isolate yourself. You have to social distance. Let's read what happens here. Verse 21. Uh, sorry, verse 20. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had a leprosy on his forehead. So they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave, because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and excluded from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people in the land. The other events of Uzziah's reign from the beginning to the end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his fathers and was buried near the man field for a burial that belonged to the kings. For the people said he had leprosy, and Jotham his son succeeded him as king. What a sad end. Here's a man who followed the Lord, sought the Lord, became super powerful, super productive and effective for God's vision for his nation. Yet because of his pride, 
it led to his downfall. And from what I understand in history, it, li- it looks like he, li- he lived for 10 years in isolation. Right now we're in a time of social distancing, and it's rough. It's rough not going to see our friends. It's, not, it's rough not being here with you guys right now, having to do this through this whole camera thing. Can you imagine doing that for 10 years? Never being around people again, having to isolate yourself in a home and never leave again. That was the consequence that God gave him. Because he messed up a picture of his son. All of it stemming from his pride. Ladies and gentlemen, today, be careful with your pride. God takes pride very seriously. He hates pride. But we know that if you humble yourself before him, he will lift you up. Now, I got like one minute left. I just want to tie it into Isaiah. I just found this kind of cool. Again, this is my you know, personal thing. Whether or not this is true, I, I, I find it pretty neat. Um, turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Okay, this is what I let off in the very beginning. Where do you see Isaiah? If you're someone who's a, a scholar and you know the Bible relatively well, you know that in Isaiah chapter 6 it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, interesting here, Uzziah was a great king. Yes, he made a mistake, but you know what? King David made some mistakes too that defined his life. Uzziah was a great king who sought after God. He developed Israel through God's control and God's power and God's leading, developed Israel into a great nation for the time. Super prosperous, super wealthy, economically stable. The people in this time probably really loved him as king. I'm sure the people at this time were very grateful that he was the king because life is good. Now, can you imagine you have a leader for 40 years and life is awesome. And then that leader dies. Can you imagine, like, man, the, the unknown, the stability. We have great stability here. What's going to happen when the next person takes charge? You know, I'm sure that there was some concern, some disappointment, some despair, some lack of hope when he passed away. Because life was good with him. What did God do to Isaiah? When Uzziah passed away. It says this. In the year that King Uzziah died. What happened here? I saw the Lord. God took Isaiah and the nation. And said stop looking at men. Look at me. You think men are great? You think men are awesome? They're not. Your thoughts and your uh, vision should be focused on me because here's I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple above him were seraphim each with two wings with two wings they covered their face and with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and yet they were calling to one another holy 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 is the Lord God of mighty the whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Can you just imagine the scene? Here is a nation that was thriving under this man. And they probably thought that he was a great man, and now he's gone. 
And there's probably some lack of hope, some despair, some worry, some disappointment. And unrest with what's going to happen. Because of one man who brought it all together and made it happen is now gone. And here we see God take Isaiah and say, Stop looking over there at man. Look at me. Look at how majestic and authoritative and powerful I am. I sit on the throne in heaven. I rule over the nation. Don't look at man. Look at me. I will never change. I got this. I'm in control. You don't need to worry. I know your future and I have a plan for you and I love you. God has the same thing for you today. There is a God sitting on a throne, ruling over his universe. And he loves you so very much that he wants you to be a part of his family. He loves you so much that he gave his son that we just talked about to die on a cross for you. And the only thing you have to do to become part of God's family is to trust and believe that Jesus Christ died at the cross and that his death at the cross paid for your sins. And in doing that, you are now adopted into God's family forever. And the one who sits on his throne, reigning supreme over all things, now has you in the palm of his hand. And he will take care of you. He will take care of you, and he will give you eternal life. So no matter what happens in this world, you will one day be with him in heaven forever, and nothing can change that. Would you today place your life in his hands? If you don't know him yet. And if you do know him, would you be like Uzziah at the beginning of his life when he had fire in him and he seeks the Lord? Would you today also seek the Lord, consult him in the things that you have planned for your life? Thank you everybody for tuning in. Let's close this time in prayer. Lord our God, we give you thanks that you reign supreme over all things. That there is nothing in this universe that you cannot handle. Even this little virus that's going around right now. Lord, you got it. You know what's going on. Lord, I pray that this may be a time that we as Christians bind together in love. That we encourage each other. That we build one another up in love. That we spur one another on to do good things for you. To seek you. And Lord, maybe a time for us as believers to share your love with those in our neighborhoods and those around us. Lord, we thank you so much for your great love towards us. We do not deserve it. Help us to appreciate this day more of what you have done on our behalf. In your son's name we pray and give thanks. Amen.